0: 101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Kicking things off for us tonight, John Carroll Kirby with the latest single from his forthcoming album, "Blowout." That's Sun Go Down. Starting with that one in part just because I love any new John Carroll Kirby track, uh, but also because it was something I recommended earlier today during my phone interview with Fred Penner, who is the guest on the show coming up after this next musical selection. He's playing Kids Fest, the Children's International festival next weekend and uh, we talk a little bit about uh, what he's into and uh, his uh, his playlist might surprise you uh but uh rest assured uh he's gonna add some john carroll kirby to it hope you enjoyed that track hope you enjoy this next one from blinker the star a new single called funny love stick around here on 101.5 umfm no introduction but i'm going to give him one <laughs> winnipeg legend fred penner is playing kids fest the winnipeg international children's festival next weekend and celebrating the, the 40th anniversary of the game back is that right well it's
2: it it, it was the 40th anniversary pre pre-covid oh. but it's uh so it's it's now it's now 40 plus 40 plus we, we put an we, asterisk we, beside we, that <laughs> exactly um yeah it's been i uh, i had to shut down the the 40th anniversary cat came back to her, uh, just, just prior to COVID we got as far as Edmonton and then, uh, then things shut down and I still had about half a dozen dates that, uh, that we're, we're still trying to catch up with along the way. But, uh, but yeah, the, the cat came out in, well, it's, it's, yeah, as I said, more than that now it's 1979, 80 when that, when that came around. So we're, we're we into a number of decades on that side for sure.
0: Closing in on forty five at this point, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, so here's something. I mean, I've I've definitely talked to some other artists who've had you know a big song that they feel compelled to play, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for crowds several albums afterwards.
3: Mm.
0: Having a, a song like this for this long a period of time, like, have has your your love with it ever waned, or have you like struggled to play this? Uh, actually
2: not the, w- the way I've I've always approached performing is that every every audience that I that I perform to is a new combination of people. Mm-hmm. You you never get exactly the same ex- the exactly the same vibe, the same the same grouping there. So and and they've they've come for, for to hear Savages, to hear Cat came back and and their other favorites. Mm-hmm. And uh and and I I love performing and I love the anticipation of it coming around, you know, I'll start and you know, I'll start the show. I'll get, I'll get maybe halfway through and somebody will say, sing the cat, sing the cat. You know And it is? Yeah. You be patient now. It's coming. It's coming. So, so we get into a little, a little banter on that, but no, I, I never, I never tire performing any of my songs, you know, uh, over, over the years, because they, because they, they were there in the beginning for a purpose. You know, and and it was they're they're exciting to play. They they I like the chord progressions. I like the lyric. I like, you know, the the imagination that that draws out of it. So, uh, I I don't I don't I don't deny that at all.
0: Right. So, in terms of when you play it in a set, is that like allow you to give a little like lesson on like delayed gratification or, or patience?
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's the it's the it's the big song. It's the one that people are waiting for. So I I thought occasionally of you know doing it a, a little bit sooner, but then what would I follow it with? Mm-hmm. So so I you know I, I'd be in I'd be in that in that trap. Um, yeah. So I I tend I tend to save it to the to the very end of the show, uh, or, or or maybe I'll I'll do a a little tag at the end depending where I'm performing, but uh, but yeah it's the it's usually the closer.
0: I know you've done, you know, like you've played university crowds. You've, you've done kind of like, you know, audiences aimed at like older or adults who kind of grew up with your songs and, and not just things like children's festivals. Is building a set different depending on your audience? Uh, sure.
2: No, I, I I usually, I mean, the, the old the old rule was have a good opening and a good closing and the middle will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that, that's still that's still part of the pattern. I, I'll structure a set you know, with, 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 uh, with a flow to it, you know, so it's not, it's not just I, uh, you know, I hit it high and keep it up at that level. It, uh, it, it has to go through waves for me. You know, I need to bring it, bring it down at one point and do something that's a little more introspective that, uh, that, that draws an audience into, into the lyric or into the, you know, wherever it's going. So it's, it, and if I'm doing, a, an adult show, haha, it, it has, is that uh, it's a different kind of field because I don't have to play to a younger kind of kind of spirit you know i I can get uh, as I said a little more introspective about where this song came from the inspiration for that which might be interesting to you know to uh, to an older audience and and then i'll I'll throw in tunes from my from my early days the uh, the 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 folk world with some Cat Stevens and gor uh, Gordy Lightfoot and right. et cetera so it's, it, it, it takes a, a little bit, a bit of a different feel, but often um, many of the songs are the same. But it's how I play them and, and, and how I set them up that changes the perspective a little bit. But it's yeah, it's always being aware of who your audience is. And for me, it's always being spontaneous and ready to shift directions if necessary.
0: So some of it's like your banter and, and kind of like what you're laying out between songs that changes because of the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Pr- pretty much. I'd say. Yeah. We spoke around the time of the release of hear the music, your uh, 2017, you know, collaborative record, mm-hmm. um, you know, drawing in new musicians, did that like open your ears to, to new things in terms of like where you're at creatively coming out of that?
2: Uh, yeah, somewhat the, I, I was thinking about that this, this morning actually. Um, cause, uh, it, A.C. Gervanis uh, from Bahamas. Mm-hmm. He he came in and and uh, or I we were talking about a couple of tunes that that he could participate in, and uh, and and he he took it home and he, he is he is a young child in his in his uh, in his world, so he started looking at it from his you know parental perspective, and 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 he came to the studio with this uh, with this really neat idea for uh, uh, for one of the songs and and he was amazed that that I that I said great fabulous that's that's a good idea and I would not necessarily have thought of that direction off the top so so hearing where another artist would take some of my material was was interesting w- the the uh, the delight of that album was was how excited all of these artists were. To participate in the in the album from you know from Tara Lightfoot and, and Good Lovelies and uh, Ron Sexsmith, they were all you know ready to to sign on the dotted line immediately mm-hmm. because there there is you know some influence that they've felt from my work over the years and and just awareness of what I've what I've been doing over this time. So that uh, that was exciting hearing. That they were into what I was what I was doing, and 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 musically you know over these over these last few years, I think I've, I've become a better a better musician, a better guitar player, and uh, and I'm hoping that the next album will you know will will reflect that, and uh, and thinking of the artists that I worked with before, how how I may implement them into another another project. So so yeah, I'm always influenced by, by the, uh, by the musicians that that I see at festivals or, or on this project and specifically.
0: Right. So during lockdown periods, did you did you were you not uh, baking bread? You were you were working on your guitar?
2: <laughs> I was I was making soup, lots lots of soups during COVID. I'm I'm a big soup guy, but uh, but I, I I played played lots of lots of guitar every and you know, almost every night I'd I'd either just just jam with myself cuz my, my wife plays uh, plays some ukulele and dulcimer mm. and also we we'd we'd, uh, we'd do stuff together sometimes but often it would be me just uh, exploring some of the uh, the patterns that, that just just came out of me and uh, and often throwing on a Spotify track and uh, you know, and playing along with, with anybody which is uh, which is a, a real a real delight.
0: Are you putting on like discover mode to see like kind of what what comes up, and then see what strikes your fancy? You do, or you go to specific artists that you want to play. Uh,
2: I, I usually go to specific artists, and and then after they, you know, after I've, I've done a number of those, then then they, uh, the the Spotify people, uh, they they come up with here's a song that we thought you might like. Here's a mix that that, that we've selected for you. You know, they get their algorithms together and. You know, and, and pitch other other items at me, and and that's that's okay. I I don't tend to to jump into those. I'll, I'll make my own mixes if I need.
0: What do you like as a listener? Like, or do you gravitate to the type of stuff that you would yourself write, or are you looking for something like completely different to kind of like take yourself out of that headspace?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I've I've always been uh, delighted with the eclectic world of music because I grew up with everything from opera, classical. Orchestral, you know, to the to the uh, the the early rock scene. I have an older brother and sister, and and so in the fifties, when I was just a young lad, they they'd be playing, you know, the the Elvis and the the early boy bands, the Four Lads, the Four Aces, et cetera. Yeah. And, then, and then the folk scene came along, so I had this huge, beautiful spectrum and lots of swing music that my parents would listen to as well. So so when I'm when I'm going into into listen to something. I, I will go back to to those days and you know and throw on some Benny Goodman and you know and and, and jam along with uh, with Nat King Cole, and and, and then in, in more contemporary things I'll, I'll listen to uh, Anderson Paak uh, or, or or the old, or, or Bonnie Raitt stuff or, uh, you know so there, there's a pretty eclectic world that that uh, that I I enjoy listening to and hearing hearing where contemporary artists are are moving. And um, and that that delights me as a musician to to, to see what kind of patterns this artist is, is playing with in a way whether it's, it's very simple or complex, or if it's all about the rhythms, you know so, so I, 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 do, I do explore many different directions.
0: So in terms of your your listening then, does that influence you know what you come up with as, as a songwriter? Like do you find that like if, if you hear a new, Kind of sound or an instrument you haven't kind of like considered before? Does that wrap your brain around it and try to think, hey, how could I weave this into the you know the Fred Penner tapestry?
2: Um, a, a little bit more, more the uh, the the types of chord progressions that 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 people work with. Uh, you know the I mean the the style of music that was play you know play playing in the '70s and the Beatles and and that stuff where. Where you're, you know, it, it's not just it's just one, it's not just one four five and a couple of minors, but 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 they'll they'll jump out of that and, and change keys uh, often, and and so hearing where the where that progression is moving for artists now, and 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 often I'm, I've been finding that it's it, it's becoming simpler in many ways that the, uh, the 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 chords are 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 not as complex as as I would have, uh, as I would have thought, mm. but the, but the rhythms are, you know, the, uh, the, the percussion side is getting a little, much more com- complex. Uh, and the, and the BC, I, I mean, hear, hearing, the tracks, I, I've, I've always had a, a good ear for, for, um, for additional tracks to come in. You know, if, if there's a, a, sax line that might, that might happen or, or, a, or a flute or a flute pattern, um, so, so these, these other things I, I hear them uh, but I, I haven't brought them into my, my recording world. I think the next because I, I am hoping to do another album you know in the hopefully not too distant future. I've got've got lots of lots of patterns to play with but as I, as I listen as I listen to them and anticipate where that might go, uh, I'll bring me in uh, an instrument and I will be able to define, but with the with the hear the music album, when we had all those horns hap- happening, I was saying, here's a pattern that I'd like to hear on those horns and mm-hmm. you know and I'd sing it, and then the you know the artist would would take it that direction. So I'm always hearing additional lines that could be part of a song and uh, and and hearing some of the tracks that are that are coming up now oh, that yeah, I think it does influence me, but we'll we'll see whether it actually comes out in a new project.
0: Right. You mentioned your wife plays ukulele. Do you ever write on ukulele too? Because I know that it's kind of a much more kind of like basic kind of chordal structure to I, that.
2: I have, yeah, I have done that a little bit. One of the tunes, um, oh, good, I can't even remember. <laughs> one, one of the songs on, the, uh, on that album, in fact, the one that, that AC uh, was Bahamas, uh, played along with is is the ukulele the ukulele tune uh i've i've enjoyed uh playing some something uh f- if, from the from the beatles something in the way she moves attracts mm-hmm. me like no other lover uh george wrote that on ukulele and it's uh it's really fun to play you know to hear that come out of uh out of the ukulele pattern
0: yeah no for sure um Anyway. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna learn from you in terms of holding off. We're not gonna play the cat game back. Okay. You know, you we'll save Thank that you. for when you're <laughs> at the kids fest. But I wanna. I wanna play something from your repertoire. I mean, maybe from here the music or or something else. Maybe uh, if you can pick, and if you have a reason why you're picking that track in particular, I'd love to hear that.
2: Uh well, well, for for whatever reason, it. uh what pops into my mind. My my daughter lives in L.A. And I've I've been down there a few times, and uh, in fact, we just passed, the, you know, I think the 20th anniversary of Fred Penner Day in Los Angeles on on May the second in 19, 1990 something. Uh, we were we were doing some gigs down that way, and I was at at the sports the Sportsman Hotel in in L.A. and. Uh, and I don't remember the the inspiration of it. I, I think we we perhaps had a new a new baby. Well, yeah, there was it was a new child in my, in, my, in my life, my my second daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote a song called "She's a Baby." And and I, I sat down and wrote it, and it it took me like less than an hour to write this thing out. And and it's it's got a beautiful complex pattern to it. It's uh, it, it's sort of jazzy. But it's a song that I, I, I rarely play on stage, so uh, so to have you throw it onto the, uh, onto the box now would be great.
0: We'll do that one. Uh, Fred Penner plays Thursday at 145, Saturday at 1, and Sunday at 2 p.m. as part of the Kids Fest, Winnipeg International yeah. Children's Festival. Kidsfest.ca for tickets and more info. Fred, thanks very much for taking some time out of your day to talk.
2: Yeah, likewise, Michael. Good to speak with you again. Take care.
4: there
3: she is
4: oh look at her listen she's making a sound watch as her whole world is spinning around she sees and she hears little eyes little ears and there's nothing to fear she's a baby everything's new from her head to her toes and you won't believe how fast everything grows takes time to learn why First she'll laugh, then she'll cry But there's nothing to hide She's a baby Hug her and kiss her And hold her tight Tell her you think that she's outside of She needs to know Love is always there And you need to show her Just how much you care Each day's an adventure, a story to tell Everyone near her is under her spell At bedtime we try to sing each lullaby As she orbits the sky, she's a baby You need to show her just how much you care Oh, look at her, listen, she's making a sound Watch as her whole world is spinning around She sees and she hears little eyes, little ears There's nothing to fear, she's a baby It's perfectly clear when you're so near, we're glad you're here, little baby.
0: Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, you heard Fred Penner with his selection, She's a Baby, from What a Day. Tickets for Kid Fest at kidsfest.ca if you're going to go see The Legend in person. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes, my interview with Bobby Hunter, uh, an organizer with Greenpeace and the widow of Bob Hunter, one of the co-founders of that organization, about a new book she has edited called Mr. Mindbomb. I will note that uh, I'm wrapping this into this show rather than airing it on Turning Pages because starting next week, we're bringing back Festival Express, our series spotlighting artists playing the Winnipeg Folk Festival, uh, kicking things off uh, Tuesday with William Prince, who will be the uh, first artist playing the main stage at FolkFest, uh, We've got a lot of great artists lined up for that series, and so uh, I'll be handing over the Turning Pages space for the month of June and, and probably into July heading up to the festival. Uh, so any book-related stuff you're going to hear here on Thank God It's Free Range rather than as part of Turning Pages for the time being, the podcast will be up separately. Uh, before we get into that interview, though, Helena DeLand, love, love, Love her music, and she has a new one called Spring Bug. Although it feels like summer for sure here in Winnipeg, it's hot. Remember to stay hydrated this weekend. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. <laughs> Well, Mr. Mindbomb is a collection of personal essays detailing the life and achievements of renowned environmentalist Bob Hunter. His editor, his former partner, Bobby Hunter, joins me to talk about the book. Welcome to the show.
5: Hi, thanks for having
0: me. My pleasure. Now, this isn't an unusual memoir in the fact that it's it's described as a story quilt. And uh, and I'm curious was was this the initial and and. You know formative idea of this book how it kind of ended up or did that come about you know through the process of making it
3: well
5: bob was the writer in the family bob um wrote 14 books and he was a fabulous writer he won the governor general's award and i was his partner for 31 years we helped form greenpeace together and um you know he had an amazing life but he died fairly young at uh, 63 not really expecting to die and he didn't have the time to write his own story COVID hit and um, our family on Zoom uh, sort of initiated the idea that we should all have a project Bob had left behind about three unpublished books and I said I know exactly what I'm going to do with my time I'm going to take one of those unpublished books and i'm going to get it into digital form and, and i'm going to get it published and i did that and it's a beautiful book uh called long way to the horizon and actually it's a historical fiction with the um, the main center of it being winnipeg um and i and i completed that and i was just a, I was so thrilled with myself that I had done that. And I and I gave it out to, uh, you know, all our family and I self published it. And and that's about as far as it went. But I got the bug. I was really by that time pretty excited about getting a book out. I said to my daughter, I said, you know, I'm going to do another project. I'm going to do a book about your your dad. And and, uh, she said um, and she's also it has it has an anthological book code. Uh, well, it's it's pretty difficult, Mom. Are uh, you' sure you're up for it. And I said to my son the same thing, and and he was going, um, well, you know, it's it's kind of hard. <laughs> and I said, well, you, you know, I, I appreciate that, and I've never done a book before, but i'm I'm not the only person who was in love with Bob. Every one of his friends, um, you know, remembers him with great fondness, and um, he was a storyteller, and they all have stories to tell, not just myself. So I'm going to include other people's stories in this book. That's how it started, just one idea one day. And I thought, and my kids thought, it would take me years and years to put this together. Well, it didn't, because uh, I sent an appeal out to about initial 25 people and every one of them came back instantly and said, I'm in, I love it. I'm, 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 you know, let me be part of this. And it expanded over a year. I finally had 43 writers and 43 wonderful stories. Um, There's about seven from myself because I did a lot of the transition pieces and a lot of people were no longer with us. Um, but I found people that represented all the different eras, of Bob's life and, um, and, and for them, it was just a joy to go back and <clears throat> recall their time with him. So <clears throat> that's how it happened. It's a, it's a book, uh, in stories of, uh, um, you know, a Bob's, uh, life, Bob's life story in
0: stories. So, so the different participants, you know, there, there's a, a bit of chronology to the, the telling. Did you like elicit or or say like I want you to write this specific one once a person was kind of back to you that they were in on the project, or or did they just naturally write kind of like oh I knew Bob at this point so this is what I'm going to write about.
5: No, no, I I had a lot to do with with the um uh, the book I, I I I carved an arc of his life and then I fit all the people in. Now some people, of course, they fit in all throughout his life but their voice on a certain era would be more important, you know, at an earlier stage than a later stage, and I knew it. And, and that's where it was kind of difficult sometimes to deal with people. Mostly it was an absolute joy dealing with all the people, but sometimes it was a little difficult because they wanted to tell the whole story. And I couldn't have 43 writers telling their whole story about Bob, you know? I, I wanted them to tell a specific, Uh, detail. And so, I, yeah, I I did a lot of directing um, and managing. And and, um, when the stories would come in, uh, then, you know, I would have to and and more and more people came in who wanted to be a part of it. I was limited by the size of the book because publishers aren't going to take anything beyond a certain word count, which I'm sorry, I've forgotten what it is now, but um, as I would try to hold to this word count, I'd have to go back to all the authors and say, well, you know how I said you could do 2000 or 2500? Now we're down to 1500 words, you know, Sure. and, and we got a little rewriting to do. And but it made each of the stories a little sharper, which was good. Um, and it also meant that those people who were telling their life story rather than Bob's life story, um, I could then have a reason why I had to edit out their life story, you know, and 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 leave it as uh, the essence of the story that I wanted, uh, you know, of, of their of their time together.
0: So you mentioned you had this experience putting out Bob's book prior to this. Did the experience of you know putting that book together steal you for the the process of putting this book together
5: in some way? No, not at all. They were completely different. Um, The first book, Long Way to the Horizon, um, and and both my books, Mr. Mindbomb, which we're talking about Bob's life story and Long Way to the Horizon. um, You know, you can get both of them currently on on Amazon. Long Way to the Horizon had an interesting story background in that it was. um, Bob was chosen uh, in the late 80s. uh, by a, a major New York uh, publishing house to write a three generational uh, Canadian saga, because back then Thornbirds had just come out and it was a three generational Australian saga, um, and he did. He he gave him a advance. He sat down. He he wrote wrote wrote. Just before he was finished, his publisher died of a heart attack and. Bob was quite devastated. They got along so well. Anyway, um, three more editors later, um, Bob, and they kept wanting changes. Bob kind of threw up his hands and said, I've had it, I'm not gonna bother with this any longer. I can't be writing anymore for nothing. So it sat on the back burner. And over the years, the two of us would, because the story was found just wonderful story. We would go back to it and say, how about if you know we changed this to this? This relationship evolved in this direction, and and it just was fun. We, and it became the book that where Bob started to accept me as an editor, um, uh, because I could. He he didn't need editing in terms of uh, his writing, but he he his ideas, storyline, continuity, that sort of thing. So I I got involved with in him. That, well, when the book was done, it was done. And I didn't even want to have a conventional publisher on the book because I thought they're going to tear it apart one more time. So this was Bob's final statement, his final story. So I, I had it went out just as is. Um, but this book, I had uh, I had two editors who really were lovely ladies who, who just worked along with me and listened to my stories and. From my stories, they would be able to put input into how to to um, smooth out each one of the the stories that came through from people. Some of them were beautiful and just intact because many of the writers in this book are writers and have books of their own. Um, and then some of them needed work, and those ladies really helped a lot.
0: You mentioned that you wrote the you know connective tissue pieces within this to kind of further the story. Was that something that you sussed out as you were doing that edit editorial process with these two editors? That like identifying areas where there were gaps that you know you needed to kind of bring the story in line.
5: Not really. The ladies didn't know Bob, and they didn't know his life story. No. Um, when I say transition pieces, I mean uh, as well pieces that no one else could speak to. Um, uh, you know, are how did we meet? How did we fall in love? And and what got us started, um, what happened when he, uh, found out that he had cancer, you know, he, he told me and how did we let the, the rest of the world in on that? Um, why did we leave Vancouver and, and move to Toronto? Um, you know, so those kinds of transition pieces, nobody else knew that side of Bob, that personal side of Bob, um, but myself. So I've, you know, this is his life story. We needed to talk about the personal as well.
0: Sure. So it was less structurally necessary as just personally necessary in terms of telling the complete Bob story. Yeah, exactly. Did You mentioned you know, initially approaching 25 people and then it grew to 43. Were there any people that weren't able to contribute or, or didn't want to? Um,
5: There were some people who, who didn't, Uh, one or two that, that didn't, uh um say that didn't feel that they could do it wanted to but didn't feel they were good enough writers to be part of it and and that's fine uh, i i sure didn't need to pressure anyone anybody because <laughs> i have so many stories um, but you know like david onley who was the lieutenant governor of, of ontario was a good friend of bob's and david was so excited about the project and really wanted to uh to write a piece um he had a park data dedicated to bob after bob died and that was going to be his story um but david had uh had been quite sick and very ill a a year before he was just on the mend and just soon after he said yes i'll do it uh he got sick again and he he passed away before the book came uh, out um but I had such a nice time talking to David about what he was going to write and, and just getting to know him more personally uh, that I, I have a section. I, I broke the, his Bob's life into into four sections. So it was the early years and the middle years and the later years and then the after years. And in the after years, I put in pieces from people who didn't know him, but he changed their life or I put pieces in about how, like, there are two parks named after Bob, how that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And also there's, you know, scholarships in his name and that sort of thing. So I wrote things that happened after Bob passed away.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that structure and and that last section. And was that something like you conceived of initially or through the contributions, it kind of made itself clear that that should be something that was included
5: it, it it happened right from the beginning i i as i say i have this whole arc and i, I think it really developed by having uh david david Just oh, sorry my phone um, david onley um uh, except being a, a part of the book and, and uh and thinking about his contribution was really after bob was gone so that sort of uh naturally fell into place that uh, there would be the after um uh you know after his after his passing um, um dedicated the uh, stories
0: right. you have a couples uh contributions where it's it's not just the person's reminiscence. it's you know like the the hunter savior is you compiled a piece for George Karatva. there's there's a couple others where it's kind of like a a, a group contribution and stuff. was that just out of necessity? with those specific individuals and those specific contributions?
5: Uh, well, I think that was also a style. Now, Chris Pash, he wrote a book, um, uh, The the Last Wild, uh, and it's about the forming of um, Greenpeace Australia. Bob and I went down there in 1977 and we, we met up with a half, half a dozen um, local people uh, drove across Australia in a couple of old, you know, beat down uh, trucks and uh, went to the last whaling station and put on a, a campaign that uh, attracted international and national news. And within one year, they stopped uh, whaling. It was a really uh, intense and interesting and, and, and great uh, um, campaign because it, it was such an instant success. Um, Chris Pash was from that town um on on the like south of perth on the um west coast of australia southern west coast of australia and uh chris went down there he was just a junior reporter and he was trying to cover both sides um he being a kid who was working at their local newspaper and he kept in touch with all of us over the years he was quite fascinated by the uh environmentalists and um he Took our remembrances and he he, uh, he put this book together. So he's always been a a, a journalist. Um, so he when I asked him to write about it, uh, he did it in a journalistic style. And and he's as he, he had um, remained a friend to so many of us who were on that campaign. He he did it in interview style, talking to a couple of the people who were part of that campaign. Which was nice. There are different styles. Um, for instance, Dinah, who uh, was a camera woman, camera, but she loved to say, "I'm a cameraman,"
3: <laughs>
5: she was the first cameraman that was that you know was woman in Toronto. She, um, Dinah, wrote a, a beautiful piece where it was three little pieces, and and they were all snapshots of being in the thick of it and the fray of it. Uh, as a sidekick uh, camera person to Bob Hunter, um, beautifully written. So, like, different styles as well. Uh, as, and each story, the nice thing about this book is, is that it's, um, you know, every every chapter is only about a, a couple of pages mm-hmm. long. Um, everybody's so busy these days, and a, and a lot of people have got out of the habit of reading um, because of everything's electronic now. But this is a great book for the modern age, even though we're talking about stuff that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, because people can just take it with them and, you know, uh, well, I think I'll write, read one more chapter. It only takes you 10, 15 minutes, you know, um, it's not going to occupy a whole lot of time. And then you have some time and you think about that and then you move on to another chapter. Um, And I've had lots of people tell me that's the thing they like about it, uh, is is that it makes it easy for them. You know, there's no sort of demand to get through the whole book or, you know, finish massive long chapters. Each one's a cute, sweet little story, you know, or a very powerful story, one or the other.
0: Yeah, you'd mentioned, you know, the word count's limiting the ability for these people to tell their own stories and and to focus on on Bob's story, but it it doesn't lose the fact that these are all different voices and their, you know, writing styles are different and the way they reflect on Bob is is different in each.
5: Yes, yeah. And I was told that that would be something that would not be appealing to a publisher. But in in actual fact, people really really love um the book, and I think it is because there's a all all these different angles, all these different voices, but the commonality is that they all had a a, a deep love for for Bob, and he was a, a a big influence in their lives, and there was that sort of common thread to it all. So, uh, it that pulled it all together. Um, Bob was a really amazing person, and I don't think people in Winnipeg even know. You know who he is but you know winnipeg fares fairly large in in the book i mean you know there are like uh six of the writers are from winnipeg there would have been more but you know bob would be 81 if he was still alive so an awful lot of his friends have passed away as well and indeed like one of one of the people that i have in here i had to just grab Something that he wrote years back and edited down because it was a bit too long, just to have a little snapshot of them traveling along together. But Gary Marchant, who was also from Winnipeg, um was a internationally well-known travel writer. I and mean, he did all sorts of guidebooks for Thomas Cook and and Bob went on a lot of trips with with Gary. And uh so Bob fared a lot in his his storytelling and his travel logs. Um, another person, that, uh, Jim Dekov, was a dear old friend that they knew from the time they were uh, teenagers. And his story called Beatnik Bob reflects back to a long time ago. Uh, and Jim lives in now in Ontario, and he started a, a company called Family Past uh, Pastimes, and it's a games company, you know, and dave burner he, he was a, a um he started a uh an organization in vancouver and there's this, is one still in winnipeg called ex calais where they um are a transition for people who are incarcerated and coming back into regular society so there's a lot of uh important people and one of the other ones is um walt patterson who is a new nu- anti nuclear, but is nuclear physicist, anti nuclear fellow who worked with Friends of the Earth and has produced dozens of books um, talking about uh, good clean energy and has been talking about that for years. And he, Bob and Walt, conspired on a lot of uh, issues um, when it came to uh, energy. So, you know, it's, it's a good read for people from Winnipeg to see a lot of the success stories of, of um, some, some people who grew up in, you know, in the peg.
0: For sure. Now I'm curious with all these different people's reminiscence of Bob, were there any like angles or aspects of their, you know, reminiscence of Bob that surprised you? I mean, obviously you spent a great deal of time over many years with him, but was there anything that you, you didn't know about Bob that you learned through this process?
5: Yeah. Yeah. and. And and Bob's brother also, Don uh Hunter, you know, he he did a thing called him Proficio and he he really wraps it up because he takes uh, Bob from being a little kid and growing up to his teen years in, in Winnipeg. And that, you know, Bob left in his early twenties and, and you know, he spent a good deal of time in Vancouver where we met, and then we moved in nineteen eighty eight to Toronto. But he, he was he always felt he was a a boy from winnipeg you know and uh, and don's piece really describes that um i think that uh what i always wondered why it was that people were it's friendly manitoba and and it's so true um that people are friendly in manitoba and i think when i read and then talk about bob's uh, childhood history this is going back to the war years you know, pre all the electronic stuff, but people, people, because of the weather, uh, really a lot of people spent time with family and friends inside and they learned to entertain each other. And so there was a beautiful kind of camaraderie and sense of humor um, and intellect that came out of all the, you know, shared thoughts. Um, and And I saw that in Bob and I saw it in all these people I'm talking about and many others that aren't with us any longer. Um, and so I think it's a, you know, in its essence, it's kind of a Winnipeg success story.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All the, all the reminiscences in terms of, you know, different people talk about like, he's, he's a great person to share a conversation with that. He, you know, could captivate a room, but didn't dominate a room.
5: That's right. Exactly. Um, he, he knew how to bring out the best in people. I mean, that's why he was. Um, I think Bob's biggest contribution is, is and, uh, and always will be that Greenpeace, but in, in its essence, in a way, the environmental movement in Canada um, would not not have uh, taken the direction that it took without Bob's influence. Um, even before he started Greenpeace, he was a uh, reporter for the Vancouver Sun and he had a huge audience and he was there to give voice to all the counterculture movements of the time. Um, And so people were really listening to Bob. And when it came uh, to the first campaign with Greenpeace, the anti-nuclear campaign, that was a pivotal point in Bob's life. He really defined who he was and he could see his direction um, from that point forward. And it, he took it as his 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 almost life duty to to get this organization um, on its feet. and and he he envisioned it as as an international organization. From the beginning, uh, he he could see it kind of ahead of, uh, where other people couldn't. you know, they were embroiled in the moment. he He could see where it needed to go. Back then, there wasn't an environmental movement. Uh, there was a Black Power movement. There was the beginnings of a women's movement. And Bob felt that there needed to be an environmental movement, and that's what he worked on. That's what he he was a part of. I'm not saying he's the only one, but he was a a big voice uh, in in the evolution of the environmental movement. Certainly in Canada, but I think I I always say I think that the big best export Canada ever gave the world was the environmental movement.
0: Well, it's it's one part, but then you know, there's so much of his, his life story that goes beyond Greenpeace, right? Like there's obviously still environmental work, but there's the the television stuff. There's you know, a, a lot subsequent to that that I really didn't know about until reading this book.
5: Well, he, he no, he had an enormous uh following in Toronto. He he did three shows and people all over this city would get up, uh to catch him on the breakfast television show. Uh, He had a program called Paper Cuts and Bob would get five newspapers coming in the morning early and he would scan them fast. He was just a brilliant man and he would absorb it. And then he, with humor, he would point out and talk about what the stories of the day were. And it was never what was on the front page. Because he, he would say, you know, that was just if it, you know, bleeds, it leads. He he didn't care about that kind of stuff. He wanted people, he wanted to inform people about what was really going on uh, internationally um, in terms of uh, the environmental movement and social justice um, issues. And, uh, and so they want, they loved it. They were learning, but they also got a good laugh usually in the morning. You know, it was a nice way to start the day. And so he was exceedingly popular. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't he couldn't go anywhere like we we would uh, go to Home Depot because we had a a project and uh, get in the door. And I'd say, how about you just stand here? I'll go get the stuff. I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd be just standing there. One person after another come by and he'd always talk to them and chitter chatter. And, you know, he was just very, very friendly, but well known.
0: Well, for folks to learn more about Bob Hunter, they can read Mr. Mindbomb, which is out through Rocky Mountain Books. Bobby Hunter, thanks very much for taking some time to talk about the book today and congratulations on its release.
5: Oh, it's been wonderful. Have a wonderful day.
0: Here on Thank God It's Free Range. You just heard the new single Act Natural from Margaret Glaspie, uh, released earlier this week and uh, from her forthcoming album Echo the Diamond. Past Folkfest performer and uh, great, great artist. Big fan of hers and excited to hear more from her. Excited to hear more from His Golden Messenger, who follows up Quietly Blowing It, released in 2021 with a new record coming soon. The first single dropped today. It's called New Grape. Uh, We got something from Pale J out on Coal Mine. uh, Great soul label out of Cleveland. uh, Released a single with Okonski, who have a fantastic jazz record released earlier this year on that label. Uh, But this one is just credited to to Pale J. It's called In Your Corner. Then We're going to kick it up a little notch. We got some new Jesse Ware and more before we hand things over to After 8 Radio. Keep it locked here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio.
1: Balloons, champagne, kick. Raise a glass to the old school again.